Hello everyone and welcome to the Avunque Siamo Meatball and Pasta Fazul Artist Podcast. I am Mike Fiorito, your host. On our podcast, we talk to Italian-American writers, artists, musicians to learn about their work, what inspires them, and of course, hear about exciting new projects. Today on the Meatball and Pasta Vazul Artist Podcast, we have the pleasure of talking to Joanna Claps Herman, author of The Anarchist Bastard and When I Am Italian. I had two conversations with Joanna, one in my apartment. Uh, we chatted before we shared some chicken soup that my wife made, uh, soppressata and cheese, and then enjoyed the delicious pignoli cookies that Joanna brought over. Uh, after we met in person, we then spoke on the phone later again. Please join me in welcoming Joanna Claps Herman. Um, so welcome. So great to meet you, Joanna. It's a uh, piacere. Grazie, grazie. It feels like, I mean, I've read your books, uh, which, you. by the way, you have to sign. Uh, it would be my ple great pleasure. So it, I feel like I know you, and uh, there's a lot to talk about. Um, to some extent, I felt like I was reading some of my own story, I'm and you're going to tell sure me about that. I'm sure that's true. I know that's true. I mean, the uh, the writing is, is felt, it's very authoritative. Mm. You feel like you're in uh, good hands. Um do you, do you feel, do you tell people to read both books? I think the two books actually need to be shuffled together. You know, what do you call that shuffle when the cards? Oh, yeah, yeah, like shuffle the deck. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because I, Anarchist Bastard, I wrote over a long period of time, and then SUNY accepted it, and I was, it so happened my husband was very sick at the moment they accepted mm. it, and I just thought I, I do have to just take care of Bill and write. Take care of Bill, and that's what I did. That was right. that year. I just like went blind. No, I can't talk to you. No, I can't see you. No. Um, and I said everything I had to say at that point, and that was wonderful. It was a thrilling mm -hmm. experience. But then I realized there was more to say, mm -hmm. and then I began to. After that, as that book was getting published, I had already written a few more pieces. Right. For example, the piece about my father, which I don't know if you had a chance to look at it, but the one about him, how much music was, how important music was to him, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know, so. It's, it's in the book. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My Father's Bones, I think that yes. was called. Yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah. There are two pieces about my father, and that's, anyway, and. And it was like I, the title of the books, so we so they know. Yeah, the Anarchist Bastard was yep. the first book that came out. Growing up Italian in America, and then uh, when I am Italian, mm -hmm. quando sono italiana. Right, you threw that in there. Interestingly. Yeah, I, uh, I fought very hard to have it be the title, and soon he said, "No, right, sure, right, you right. can't do uh, that. You can't have it as the title." And then I said, "Can I have it as the subtitle?" They said, "No." Yeah. And then James Peltz, who's my editor, whom I love very much sent me this cover. He said, well, if it were on the cover like this, but it weren't officially, I said, that's fine. That's, I'm right. thrilled. Yeah. No, I'm thrilled. I like, I like I'm that. Thrilled. I, I, you, you won the battle, and we're going to get to the words, because yeah. you bring us back to the words. But one thing I wanted to ask you, yeah. so you said in the book, you say, in the Anarchist Bastard, so mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about the books generally oh, as if they're one. Beautiful, uh, thank you. Because I do think you need to read both books. I think they're both excellent books. Um, 
But you didn't really want to write about this stuff. Someone kind of encouraged you. Originally, I was so at one with my community, so mm -hmm. deeply at one with my community that when my husband would say, Joe, you've got to write about Waterbury, I yeah. would look at him as if he were completely nuts. Like, <laughs> what is he talking about? I can't write about yeah. the palm of my hand. Right, it's right. the palm of my hand. I was so close against it that I could yeah. I didn't know what he was talking about. Right. And I can't have to like pull myself. And I had been teaching writing for decades. <laughs> right. I could get any student to write anything. But I didn't know I needed some air between me and it right. to look at it. Yeah. So I had been writing fiction for a while. And that came became a book called No Longer and Not Yet. And that's fictionalized stories about bringing up a family in Manhattan and my, you know, the world that I raised my son, James Paul Herman. Mm -hmm. in. Um, and that was like, okay, I could do that because it wasn't about my family. Right. But by then I had some chops. Yeah. yeah. I had some chops. And then I began to say, oh, maybe Bill's right. Why don't I write this piece? Right. And so I know somebody asked me to give a talk um, um, let me see. Let me have Anarchist Bastard sure, for a sure. sec. Uh, somebody asked me to, to give a talk at a little conference, and it was what the heck was it? Um, la 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 la. Uh, and while you're looking, when I hear the, the title, Quando uh, Quando Sono Italiano, I think of the Louis Prima song. Well, the solo, like that's what comes to my mind. That's so lovely. I think of, that's what I'm thinking of. The music, and we're going to talk about the music. Oh, I would love to do that. Um, but I guess I can't. I can't pull it together right now. It, what it was? Okay. Wait a minute. I don't know. Anyway, it was. It was about the intimacy of the Italian American family, and this right. line came to me uh, about the fierceness that the intimacy in our family had a terrible fierceness to it. And then I thought, that's it. Right. It's yeah. fabulous and everything, but it's so crazily it's meshed together. Hair. It's in your hair. <laughs> in your cells. Yeah. Yeah. That it's very hard to step back yeah. from it and look at it. But then I began to slowly write one piece at a time, one piece at a time, one piece at a time. Right. And then it began to build and I was, I had and found my way in. Right. And then, you know, it's funny because my mom would say, you should write a story about our family. And then when I started to <laughs> when I started to write the story, she's like, maybe you shouldn't be writing this story. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, what did you want? The pasta dinner on Sunday. That's no, what we're they gonna want. have some we're gonna talk no, about the real know, stuff. I know, Michael. And, and you know the thing is, I think that was a thing that stopped me too. Yeah. Was the terror. Well, for sure. example, you know, the piece about my grandfather, um, both my grandfathers were those old time padrons and they were yeah. very hard on their families. Yeah, very iron hard. Worker, right? Uh, iron worker, yeah. blacksmiths in, yeah. in Avigliano, yeah. Yeah. and an iron worker here. And then uh, my grandfather was a pig farmer in Waterbury, Connecticut, my other. And they were violent and difficult. My parents mm -hmm. were both read with great violence. Yeah. I wasn't going to be able to write unless I was able to write about that. Sure. So that also, I think, was part of what had frozen me, but I didn't sure. know that. I just thought, I don't know what to say. You don't want to be the Fredo. You know, it's funny. My sister yeah. calls me the Fredo, and that's a joke we have. And uh, 
you know, she'll celebrate and she loves because that's how we are as a people. She'll celebrate it, but she's definitely a little pissed that um, divulging But see, Fredo is not appropriate because Fredo wasn't smart. He betrayed out of stupidity. Right, right. Not out of well, intelligence. She's not complimenting. No, but it's, in other words, but yeah. that's not the point. The point is you have gone to its literary life, artistic life. Yes. Poor Fredo, baby. He couldn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, he couldn't uh, stumble into a movie theater. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just the joke of it. Yeah. Um, but I do, you do, you talk about the oneness of the family, and that's something that, um, as an example, uh, my wife's family, my wife is, uh, uh, her family is German and English and Irish, mm. kind of American mm -hmm, and stuff mm -hmm, like that. Mm -hmm. And when her, her, we had some event, my son's uh, five-year-old birthday or two, I don't remember the year, but my family, the nephews, the nieces, my sisters, we're like one organism. So everyone is on each other's lap, feeding each other. It's like this octopus thing. And I could see her family was, it was a little odd for them. But, and I saw you write about that in your book. But isn't that our great joy? That's what I miss yeah, the close. most. Is, you know, my family, well, a lot of people have moved to California, to sure. D.C., to Maryland, to where, you know, Maine, various places. But when I go back to Waterbury, then we're all bound up together again. And right. I miss the intimacy of that so yeah. profoundly. Right. I, 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 and I envy people who grew up in, a, in, in an urban environment enough that they can both have the intellectual life and their families simultaneously, intellectual slash artistic. Yeah. But that's why this Italian-American people, you know, these groups that I'm a part of, <clears throat> that has become my New York Italian family. Mm. And, you know, I rebel horribly against the Italian-American uh, hyphenization only because... One of the great sins in my family was pretension. Mm. And Italian-American, you know, it's a, well, what do you say? Well, what do you talk? Italian-American. Uh, yes, that's not the way we talk. So to me, my love of them precludes me from saying that I am an American woman. I know that. And I am an Italian woman. And I know that. And that's really what the whole of Quando Sono Italiana is about right. is how do you negotiate that path between right. what's real and what's longing and what's nostalgic and right i mean your experience uh growing up in, in waterbury the way you describe it it's this crucible yeah. it's you yeah. took basilicata or yeah. lucana i guess is the lucana is the other name yeah. yeah and you basically brought it there well my grandparents did they, they brought it there but that's not uh, like my experience. Now, if you grew up in Bay Ridge or Bensonhurst, yeah. you would have had that crucible. Yes. Where I grew up, it wasn't like that. So there's something interesting yeah. that it was all normalized in your world that these, you know, the soprasada, the eating all of these foods and, and the, the manner and behavior. The customs, the mores, the right. everything. And it's amazing that you you describe when you left and you, you know, you became this liberated mm -hmm. uh, person and I can relate to all of that. Uh, but it must've been explosive <laughs> for you. Well, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't. Now, partly look, I leave Boston university in 1965, right? I arrive in 1962. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's still the forties in 1962. <laughs> 
you know, really basically. I was a good Italian girl. Yeah, yeah, you described it. I was, that's who I was. You stayed pretty good for a long time. Well, the first week I went to (laughs) mass, wait a minute, the first week I went to mass at college, the second week I didn't. By the end of my sophomore year, I was smoking dope with the best of them. I, of course, was having sex with my boyfriend. Of course I was. It came a little later. I mean, you did. You did. No, um... it was right around then. It's right then. It's right then. It's between 62 and 65. It was the civil rights movement. How could you not? So all the bounds broke. I would say I wasn't consciously choosing things. The the era was choosing me. And if you're in a big city, and you're at college. Now, I was still completely glued to my family and right. loved them and went back and did everything with them, too, and wanted to and did right. not. I think that I, I that's when I began to live sort of two lives. Mm. And it was many, many decades later that I could look at it and examine it and realize how confusing that was for me right. to become this sure. flower child, liberated woman. In one way, and to completely inside, I was still like, but well, mommy wouldn't like this. Right, right. And hence the title, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is when when you are in this Waterbury, you know. Uh, I call it my Italian village right. in America. I yeah. think Waterbury is, yeah. and it has a massive number of Italians. Yeah. Yeah. So we were an Italian village, and, and I think the there are a lot place, of right? they were from, they were well, from, there were yeah, there are a lot of southern Italians, but there okay. were Avellanes and Tolves, but there were other um, Pandolandals. There were a bunch of communities, but we I all see. know each other. And the farm was a center, it was right. a social center, a nexus. But mm-hmm. I think there are such colonies here in Brooklyn. I think they're yeah. in many places in America. In Cleveland, there are these Italian colonies. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I would say they're they're kind of disappearing you know, uh-huh, for sure uh-huh. I mean, Bensoners, Bay Ridge yes uh, the place we were talking about Coluccio Brothers uh-huh. I mean it stands there alone does it's, it now it's there it's alone it's kind of in Borough Park so it's not really is it in, really I didn't even realize that weird kind of corners of it's Borough Park almost part of Bay so it Ridge. was an Italian neighborhood and it is not you know anymore. I'm not sure I'm okay not okay we should find it that out it doesn't I I I don't know exactly because I'm not. A, I'm not. The smell when you walk towards that store. Yeah, is oh, so powerful. Yeah. And they know what they're doing. The people oh, there, they know yeah. they're from the region. You know the the foods, the the cheeses, the the sopressadas, and all the specialty items. They really know, and the yeah. prices are very good. Yeah. Um, and I loved I loved your Homeric. It really opened my mind, and you know that's what we read each other, and where. And I want to talk about that a little later, about sure. talking and writing to each other. Sure, sure. And I love your Homeric opening and in uh, Anarchist Bastard and that we either sing, we sing to each other uh, because we're not, you know, the Southern Italians weren't a literary culture. They were an um, oral culture. It wasn't an oral, oral culture. culture. Singing or, and that, that really. And storytelling. And you know, what is called Me Guido about? It's about singing. Exactly. Right. I love that. That's so powerful, and, Mike, in your book. But isn't it weird how we're all, we're, we're connecting the architectures, you know. Uh, and you want to know something? I would not have understood how Homeric, where I came from, was, except that I was teaching at a part of City College called the Center for Worker Education. And we had to teach the classics. And I, I had read the Odyssey before, but I fell madly in love with it. Mm, and my students, now these are minority older 
men and women. They have full-time jobs. They have children. They have marriages. They have second marriages. They're taking yeah, care yeah. of their parents. Right. All right. So this is what I did. This was a, this was a great moment in my teaching life. I got seven different translations of the Odyssey. And I said, every one of you has to own four of them. <laughs> two prose and two poetry. Choose whichever ones you want from the seven. Then you must come with one prose and one poetic one every week in the room. And we're going to do it chapter by chapter. And these, like, you know, some... They read it out loud? We, they? they had to read it at home, but then oh, we okay. would take it. And they went wild. Like, yeah. But yeah. don't you see in the prose yeah. translation yeah. over here that it's completely different when he says it this way? Right. No, but wait, let me read this to you. Let me read this to you. Just a minute. Yeah. We were yeah. into it. Yeah. It was one of the thrilling... And I taught it a number of years. And I, as I said in the book, I kept laughing, like... Ah, 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 these are just like my family. This yeah, is just yeah. like my family. Yeah. This is just like my family. Yeah. This is 1200 BCE. How could it be like my family? But and the hospitality, mm -hmm. you know, of strangers, Zania, yeah. the welcoming. Yeah. That was the thing that broke the code for me. Mm. This idea that you must welcome somebody, mm -hmm. feed them bathe them, offer them a place to stay right. before you ask their name. Mm -hmm. And when my mother told that story about Big John coming to the farm, and she's describing my grandmother washing his feet and cleaning the sores on his legs yeah. Yeah. and giving him food. And she says, and he, she didn't even ask his name until later. Right. Yeah. How could that be? How could that be true? Yeah. Am I making this up? <clears throat> now, I'm not saying that's codified for us, but, but I, it is the hospitality yeah. is codified. It, it is in our tradition that you fawn over. That you welcome, you, you welcome. embrace, yeah. you put food on the table. Right, right. And I loved... Uh, of how you, you know, the Lapina, yeah, and, and Mrs. Collins, <laughs> and, and you know, she and all of her haughty, you know, kind of uh, know it all, yes, and she's missing. Uh, that 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 really was profound. That really uh, it, it knocked me off my feet. It's one of those moments in in our literature where you you have someone puts it in a new context and gives you greater bigger vision. Thank you, uh, thank you so much. You know, uh, and it, you're doing that with the songs. And your father and relating it to your father and, and the whole father-son thing that comes through all of your stories is so beautiful. Well, thank you. I mean, I just want to write about music. So, but in you you have to, if we don't write about relations, relationships, yeah. Yeah. then then it becomes an essay. And that's Yeah, yeah, know, yeah. And uh, the, the so you wanna that was my feeling, like you did. You you put everything in context of your family, mm -hmm. of the intense relationships. But then you told your story, and you you got your themes, uh, you 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 surfaced your themes. One thing I thought was interesting. So it's funny. My uh, my father's uncle was in the scrap metal business. Where was he? And they had a scrap metal business on uh, in Little Italy, and uh, where but, which Little Italy? Oh, uh, in, in in Manhattan. So uh, Little Italy, you know, down Canal. They could well have known my uncles. Yeah. Uh, you know, we—I've lost touch with that. Uh, so it's my my father's 
uh, mother's brother, mm -hmm. and we've. I just. Yeah, you know, but okay, but they had that business. They, yeah, he, they actually had money. They seem to. That was a good business. You could make they, real money. Yeah, he, he was a. He's. I, I've written a little bit about him, but he was a real uh, character. I didn't actually like him too much. Ah, he was okay. kind of a, a cheesebo and oh, yeah. kind of a. He was very nice to us, but he was showy. He'd come with his Rolodex watch uh, and he'd say, "Do you want it?" That uh, uncle. It was a little bit. Uh, my father, I think, liked it because he brought back, like what you say, this your uh, your Waterbury, your kind yes. of. He brought back when they were all in the beehive, buzzing yes. to get zzz yes. around each other. Yes. Um, I love how you talked about the sewing and embroidery. I mean, you know, Louise de Salvo talks about uh, her father's machine, you know, background. Do you think that informs the writing? Do you feel now? Which thing are you talking making? about? I know the making, you know, absolutely, without movie. question. One thing we know how to do is we know how to make, build, repair, fix, make do, Yes. find the workaround. Yep. You know, and a lot of it is with our bodies and our hands. And obviously that comes from centuries and centuries and centuries of being makers and builders. And, da, da, da. and then I think it's very deeply, for me, writing is very much architectural. It's very much about building the pieces. What are the building blocks? What are the struts? What are the things that are going to connect it and, mm -hmm. and make it strong? I mm -hmm. really think like that. Yeah. And I, partly it's because I had to teach it and I had to, I had to figure out how to help my students understand what the parts were. Because often they came with very few skills. And I knew that if I gave them basic building blocks, then they could learn how to put it together. So I was very involved, and I just think structurally. It's yeah. the way I think. Now, maybe it's because my father was an iron worker, and I think my son being a neuroscientist and my father are deeply connected. Mm -hmm. They both know how things work right. and what the structure yeah. of things mm -hmm. is. And my, my son was obsessed with physics in high school. He said, I love to notice how things fit together, Mom. That's why I like physics. Right. And I thought, yeah. Just the same. I think our, his brain and mine works very similarly, mm -hmm. and it's about structure. Mm -hmm. Do you want do you do sewing and embroidery now? You know, I don't do. Once I started writing, I stopped doing as much of the sewing. The sewing was very much important, central to my life, but now it's transferred into clay. Okay, so do you know the city Matera mm -hmm. in Basligata? Yep. Well, so you know it's this important world heritage it was, site it now. It was like not, a, it was malarial, right, like 50 years Exato. ago. Yeah, Exacto. Yeah. Well, I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. And then uh, about how many years ago? Well, it was Anarchist Bastard came up. Somebody in Italy got in touch with me and said, I want to do an interview with you by email. Uh, of course, it was called Sud Italy or Italy mm -hmm. Sud or something like that. It's a website. Of course, thank you. Yes. And if you ever come to Italy, we would love to talk to you. I said, well, it so happens I'm coming this summer. They made an event for me. They hired a translator for me. Wow. A scholar to talk about my work. They put this massive event on in a chiostro a cultural, you know, had, had been a chiostro, now was a cultural institution outside of Matera. They put my sister and I up in a five-star hotel. Wow. And it was outside of Matera, but we were staying in Matera. <clears throat> 
it was one of those moments, one of those extraordinary moments where my heart broke with joy and pleasure and sadness that I can't go there once a week. Because what you do is, you know, it's one of the oldest continuously inhabited places on earth. And mm -hmm. you know, it's these buildings built out of In, caves, into the, right? Yeah, they yeah. pulled the tufo yeah. out. Well, yeah. so when you stay at the hotel, uh, the Locando San Martino, which I love this place, you know, it's a series of houses all yeah. made. Your, your bedroom is a cave. Part yeah. of it's a cave. Yeah. You go to the spot in the basement, the pool is in a cave. So you are wow. literally I've just seen the pictures and stuff. going yeah. back in into time. prehistory. Yeah. And that's how yeah. you feel. You feel so deeply connected mm. to the ancientness of where we come from. Yeah. And it's so physically beautiful and it impacts me so deeply when I'm there. I've only was there one other time after that. But the woman who, this lovely woman, uh, uh, who was the scholar, she's an American woman married to an Italian guy who runs this locando. And uh, she said, you have malata di madera, the sickness of Matera. Because I was like, I wanted to like weep. Anyway, so a friend of mine was going to Matera last year. I was so mad and so jealous because one of the things I brought back from Matera were these little souvenirs that were images of the places. Mm -hmm. Okay, I said, I'm going to make my own. So I started building these tiny little pieces of porcelain images of Matera, doorways wow. and stairways and that idea of the portal into the other. Right. That's fascinating. So and I have like, I don't know, I have about, I don't know how many I have. Now, I'd make at least one or two a week. I'm right. obsessed with this. So did you, had you had experience making those kinds of things? Or no, you just, I, yeah. you know, as you I say, I mean? we're all makers, right? Yeah. Our, yeah. Our, we know how to do things. So this is the latest form of it. I miss yeah. the sewing. Yeah. I miss it. And my sister and I are making these um, Shutterfly books that are part images, part text, that are the history of our family as well. That's another form. But I miss the physical sewing and all of that. But once I started writing, it I have to go narrow and deep. I can't I can't spread wide. Right. I don't get anything done if I spread. The cooking is still part of my life. All the household making and fixing and all mm -hmm. that. But I I drop the sewing. Yeah. Not well, everybody that I you know, lots of people hold on to it. There is a there is tapestry and in, in there is a meticulous uh, weaving of detail. There's, a, there's, which I, I find pleasurable. Yeah. You know, I'm a reader, and yeah. I like that. Um, you know, my mom, if I, if I give her, she, she reads crime books. Yeah. So if I give her a book that's not like that, she'll get annoyed at me because, <laughs> like, it went on for fifty pages. It didn't. Nothing happened. Nothing, nothing happened. And uh, you know, that's just her. But I love <laughs> taking me on this journey in a really through a portal. So yeah, you know that that yeah. is comes out in your writing is you're taking us through these places via like the mapina and really with the words too. You you know, and it's funny you had that the title on the in Italian because with the words it's like a drumbeat back to the past. Oh, I feel like you. you're you're thank calling you. like we're all trying Well, to... incantation is a part yeah, of art, exactly. right? Yeah. Song yeah. incante, yeah. Yeah. right? 
song and music. I'm reading the Greek tragedies for the first time in my life now. And I, again, see the connection because, of course, the choral work there was so important. And you know there were great theaters all over southern Italy and Sicily. You know that. And so those that theatrical tradition of the song Mm -hmm. and the dance going, Mm -hmm. it just belongs to us. We were Greece. Yeah. We yeah. were Greece. There was one thing else I wanted to tell you, now. though. Yes, yes, it does. So, do you know about the Triangle Fire Memorial? So, you know, the Triangle Factory Fire uh, was in, in, 19, in 2013, it was 100 years, so it must have been in uh, 1913. There was a group, uh, there was a factory of shirtwaist maker women, and they were on the ninth floor. The one that burned. Yeah, yes. Jews and Italians. Yes. Yes, there I were know. Jewish yeah. women and Italian women mostly. Mm-hmm. And most of them died because they locked them in. They locked the doors. So we are now, this was one of the most thrilling days of my life, Mike. They, they are building this massive ribbon of our family's textiles. And they're casting it in metal. Wow. So all the doilies and all the... All these things. So we were at these tables that were from, there were like, let me see, I think there were eight tables that, let's say, from that window to this wall. And there were hundreds of men and women, but mostly women, sitting there sewing and talking. And it was, first of all, it was so communal. It was so political. And the idea that my aunts and grandmothers' doilies were going to be embedded into this memorial. And I just got a notice today that we're going back to finish it up. But it was just sitting there for hours with the needle. I, I don't know. It was like, it was like reconnecting to something I had. Come back to the question because, God, we had such a great conversation. Wasn't it, it wonderful? Uh, and, and the conversation, the question I had is, is, uh, is who are you writing for? So, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, as we had, as we'd been talking about it, um, you know, of course, I want to read it, and the Italian American community wants to read it. But you know, ultimately, who are you writing for? You know, I, I think it's a wonderful question because it's not really an easy question to answer. That's always, you know, those are the best questions because without my Italian and the Italian American community, I was kind of stymied in a certain way, and that gave me a world. Well, first of all, I was reading them, and as we read one another, as you know, it's like, oh, yes, that's right. That's a part of us, too. And then it sets off your own version of that topic. You know, like the number of times people have talked about, you know, drinking coffee with their relatives or whatever, Mm -hmm. those kinds of conversations, you know, becomes a part of us. Uh, So that that really opened me up radically. Of course... Of course, one is, I mean, when I read about some small Pakistani village, I identify. There's no question. There's certain familiar things in tight communities, the kinds of communities we come from, that are more familiar and deeply um, resonate, mm-hmm. uh, resonate with us incredibly deeply. Mm-hmm. But, of course, we're always writing we're everyone in a sense. We hope what we're doing is never pinning ourselves to only one segment of any audience. Mm-hmm. Certainly when I've read, done readings, I can't tell you how many 
German people, Irish people, Jewish people say, yes, yes, that was so true in my family too. Right. So partly it's, you know, ethnic communities. Right. Yeah. But I hope, I hope it goes beyond that. I hope it's larger than that. Um, I think when I'm writing, I'm not thinking about who I'm writing for. Right. Something comes to me, an idea, an image, a piece of language, mm-hmm. and I'm in. I'm in. And I'm writing that to some internal voice, I guess. It's a conversation between one part of myself and another. Mm-hmm. And then I hope it goes out beyond me. So I right. have a story I'm writing right now about my earliest best friend in the world. You know, my closest, closest first friend, and she was my first cousin. And some pretty difficult things that happened when we were little. I mean, we got into misadventures, of course, sure, why not? We were kids. But then there were some ter- some pretty violent things that happened. And uh, who am I writing for? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Partly she's in my head, but it's just this urgency to say what I have to say, I think is more really where it lands ultimately. And that I hope and hope it it translates to other people. Yeah. Yeah, no, I and I, I know exactly what you mean. Something grips you. It's a mm-hmm. language, it's an image, it's a mm-hmm. feeling. Mm-hmm. And and the best thing is uh the greatest feeling is uh is when someone says, Well, I read what you wrote and it moved me, and I and that's the that's the greatest feeling. Yeah, um, yeah. And like you, what you said, the last thing that I think we all want is, of course, we want to be read by each other, you know, in our in mm-hmm. the Italian American community. But we all want to be read in a in a a, a bigger way. Yeah. Um, in the way I that think that's why like people like Philip Roth protested against being a Jewish writer. You know. Mm-hmm. Because he wasn't writing for the Jewish community. He was writing, having come from the Jewish community. Right, yeah. And yeah, nobody wants I, to be pigeonholed, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, and, and you know, Toni Morrison, as I understand, you know, she, I think I had read somewhere that she she said, if you if you haven't read something that you want to read, then you write that. Yeah. And and I think yeah. she was very much writing to yeah. her community, but man, it it really transcended that. Oh God, it yeah. was for everyone. It's basically it's it's a human story, and uh, I think that's what uh, you know. As your stories, your your uh, descriptions are very human. Of course, they're very specific, um, but they're they're very relatable and I, I would Thank you. urge Thank you, everyone Michael. to read them. Everyone. Thank I hope you. they're translated in a, a hundred languages. Uh, even uh, one, right? Even one would be such a thrill. Even right. a half a language, I'll take it. <laughs> right, right, right. I'm I'm still I'm still waiting for someone to translate mine into English. Um <laughs> so that remains to be seen. No. Um, I'll tell you one story, Michael, which was my son you know, he was a city kid, and he went to Stuyvesant High School, and he had a bunch of very beautiful, very smart, very sweet, very hip kids, right? They were all just mm-hmm. the hippest, most adorable, but serious about their studies, too, but also out there having a good time. And one of his friends, who sort of was this very well-known 
I, you can't even call him a street artist. He's just very well known about, he's very anti-advertisement, and he does these things where he takes over to advertising sites with art, and then he, he documents it on film. And he goes all over the world speaking, you know, uh, doing, um, being a keynote speaker at conferences and so forth. Anyway, when Jordan read Anarchist Bastard, he called me up and he said, Joe, I was sitting on the subway crying at the end of it. Mm. And this is like the least Italian-American kid I know, you know. Right. You know, and I was so moved by that. I was so moved by that. Mm-hmm. You, Jordan, you know, that I was able to move you that much. That I just was very touched by that. So, of course, that's, yeah. that's our ideal, right? That's the ideal response. Right. Mm. Right. And, uh and I, I, I know, uh, you know, I, I definitely at the end of uh, uh, When I Am Italian, it, it was very moving and uh, the parts about Bill and uh, that really uh, that really touched me uh, very deeply. And, um, and I, you know, and it was a, it was a surprise, um, so mm-hmm. even more so. Um, but it's a, they're beautiful books, and um, Thank Thank I'm, I'm really myself. hoping that uh, – uh, more people uh, on the Abuque Siamo and, and beyond uh, the the people that will listen to this will take a look at it and uh, read That's it. That. And in um, any ways, I, I want to say thank you so much because it, it was I great. I deeply to... appreciate you doing this with me, Michael. It's been a lovely, lovely conversation, a lovely it, conversation to have. It has been. And, I, and what I would really hope is that uh, we continue the conversation yeah. and we continue yeah. the Pignoli cookies <laughs> and we continue the chicken soup, and okay. we would love to have you back or come to you, but we'll yeah. we'll work that out. I'm telling you, you need to do a podcast where your wife describes making that soup. <laughs> she would that love that. That was a serious soup. Yeah, yeah. Very, she, very serious. <laughs> she's, uh, well, thank you. I mean, you're a soup uh, expert, so. Uh, she, I like she, to think so. <laughs> she gets into stuff. She really does, and she's, uh, she's. Uh, unlike me, I will do things imperfectly and put it out there. She's a perfectionist. So mm-hmm. she likes, um, you know, we'll, we'll sing together. And then when we, uh, uh, I play guitar and sing, and she'll do the harmony parts. But she'll do them mainly in the kitchen where you sat in the little nook. Yeah, and yeah. She'll, she'll do lovely. She has a, a gift for coming up with harmony parts that are, uh, that are always interesting and, and they yeah. sound lovely. But she won't take it out. She doesn't want to do it out in the like I play in bars and things like that. Oh. And um, I'll risk being a you know a jackass pretty much anytime. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But she's uh you know and we uh, have to she, take our risks. You're right. Yeah. Okay. But she's a beautiful kitchen singer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she is. She that she Please is that. send her my best, Michael. Really. I will. Thank you I will. So much. And, and we will speak soon. Thank you so much. Thank Joanna. you, Michael. Okay. Bye bye. Good night. Thank you.